0: I'd like to go back once more to something that was in the Sutta yesterday which I did not explain in detail the Buddha did not explain it at this time in detail at all but it is important to mention it even if it comes later again namely, as the Buddha said that once perception arise and sees without cause or condition is totally wrong why is that? once perceptions arise and cease owing oh to a cause and condition some perceptions arise through training and some pass away through training now this training aspect is a very important aspect it concerns training ourselves to see things in the right way now that training means that we have two abilities, or learn to have two abilities. One is calm, and one is insight. And the calm will be explained very brief uh, very uh, shortly here, as the um, meditative absorptions, which I will I explain in more detail and the insights, the perceptions that we train ourselves with is the fact that we try to remember again and again that everything that has a condition on which it rests, out of which it has arisen has to cease again is totally unreliable is never trustworthy and never satisfying. So whatever it is that we see in in the worldly aspects of life, none of that can satisfy because it arises and ceases due to conditions. It doesn't have a self-nature on which it can rest. Now to remember that over and over again through training, changes one's perception of what there is in the world and when we change our perception of what there is in the world will it eventually change it to the point where it has been changed so far that we don't change back anymore now we remember maybe if we do once in a while or like here when somebody mentions impermanence and then the mind says yes, yeah, sure, I know all that and what does that help? all it proves is that one has read or heard something of the Buddha's teachings but it hasn't changed one's perception to the point where it has changed so much that it can never return to the same as it was before And this is what this training means. Training, first the information, then remembering and practicing, and eventually experiencing. Remembering and practicing is the knowledge, the experiencing is the insight. So from the understood experience, wisdom arises. This is the training that we go through. This is also the Buddha's teaching is called a gradual training step by step it's impossible to see it all all at once but one of the things that we can do is try to see a little of it again and again instead of just ignoring it completely Ignoring it not out of ill will, ignoring it out of ignorance, which is the first step on dependent arising. That's why we come back over and over again. Ignoring, constantly ignoring. The Buddha calls it Yata Dasana, knowledge and vision of things as they are. We are ignoring that. Now, obviously, we're ignoring it because it doesn't look to our physical eye the way it is, actually, and it doesn't sound to our, uh, it doesn't seem, sorry, to our mind the way it is, because our mind is conditioned. So what we actually have to do is to uncondition it, and this is what this and also the other discourse which we already have discussed the Samana Palace are all about the unconditioning of our mind coming back to the original the base of where we start from with our convolutions so this is the training out of which some of our perception can arise and also some of which can pass away. Some of the things that we have always looked at in a certain way can be completely forgotten, no longer applicable because we have a different world view through the training. Now, when the Buddha has said that, because it is a gradual training, he starts out With step one, morality Moral behavior Gaining purity through one's own discipline Step one Then step two Guarding one's senses Not running after sense pleasures Being grateful when they come But not arning after them And then the third step the mindfulness and clear comprehension which we already talked about yesterday but much more of that to be said now I talked about mindfulness of the body as the first step of being really pinpointed to what is happening. Now there are two things to remember. One is that it isn't because the body is so interesting. It is because we have to learn to keep the mind in its place if we don't learn to keep the mind in its place in daily life it will run away with us in meditation and then our purpose is not accomplished but also because mindfulness being pinpointedly attentive purifies as I've already explained and also it gives the mind strength, the strength which it needs to eventually see reality. Now the first thing, I've already mentioned that, I'm just recapitulating. The first thing that it sees when it is really mindful is that mind gives the orders and the body tries to follow them which immediately tells us who is more important or which is more important maybe more properly said obviously the boss is more important so mind is more important so mind needs our full attention so we have mindfulness as a purification system we have it as a strengthening system to give the mind um, power muscles in order to go into depth and we have it as a way to get inside without this daily mindfulness in everyday living we are again and again having difficulties in daily life. Things just don't work out. Things become chaotic, difficult. Hard to understand and hard to accomplish what one has in mind. And because of all that, the spiritual practice doesn't happen because if one's daily life is chaotic and difficult where is the time and the energy to actually practice so first having a clear base a totally clear base where there isn't anything to be found that needs to be taken care of, looked after, worried about, nothing like that. It's just all clear and clean. And only mindfulness will accomplish that. A chaos that arises out of unfinished business needs to be left behind. So that's on a very worldly level and then we have time and energy left over for real practice mindfulness is not concentration two different words mindfulness is knowing only exactly that which is happening concentration is choosing the subject and staying with it mindfulness goes to that which is applicable at the moment mindfulness mindfulness supports and encourages concentration without it concentration never happens that's why attention on the breath is called anapana sati sati means mindfulness anapana in breath out breath when it does happen it becomes samasamadhi. samadhi right concentration so we have mindfulness of the body, now the next step is Veda mindfulness of feeling. Now here we have a whole meditation subject for insight. And I will explain that first, because the next steps in this Sutta are the meditations on karma. And they are shown, step by step, to be the necessary means to accomplish our purpose of insight. But, of course, it takes time and practice and a clear base, a clear, clean base, to come to this summer Samadhi, to right concentration. And if it doesn't happen right away, it's no great harm done because we have other means of gaining some calm through insight. The mind that has gained insight and has seen things from a different angle is also a mind that can become calm. The second base of mindfulness, Vedana Nupashana, mindfulness of feeling, includes the whole gamut of of our four mental aggregates, the khandas. And it is important to talk about them and to look at them in meditation or contemplation or both in order to have a handle on what the Buddha is talking about when he says training. That is training. Because we use our kandhas, our mental aggregates, in a very, not only unmindful, but a way, in an unmindful way, but also in a way which is not discerning. We don't discern what's going on so we have in these four, five khandas first one body we've already talked about mindfulness of the body now we have four mental ones feeling, perception, mental formation and consciousness and because it contains feeling I am now explaining it because it's the second one of mindfulness the consciousness which is meant here is always a sense consciousness seeing, hearing, tasting, touching, smelling can also be thinking and that is the first thing that arises that is how our whole mental action stops if we aren't having any of the input of the five sense doors we have the sixth one, thinking and as these arise the next step is feeling and that's either pleasant, unpleasant or neutral now if it's neutral we either don't notice it which is most likely most people don't notice neutral feeling Or we think it's all right Because at least it's not unpleasant We don't have enough mindfulness to discern between the slightly pleasant the slightly unpleasant or the neutral we usually Go for that which is really either pleasant or unpleasant And since that is our usual way of dealing with the matter of being alive that is what we have to discuss as we become more and more mindful we will be aware of neutral feelings but because neutral feelings do not engender a reaction they are not the most important thing to know about the most important thing to know about are the pleasant and unpleasant feelings because they arise automatically out of our sense consciousness now the sense consciousness itself is nothing but a touching we are touching upon a sense object there is no judgment at that time nothing at all but everything works so quickly within us that we think it all happens immediately and simultaneously it's just so fast that we can't tell the difference now when the senses touch upon a sense object and the base of the sense the eye eye, and the eye object are both there and they get together that's the eye consciousness this I not me consciousness I consciousness and that is then seeing and as we see we immediately name we very rarely become aware of feeling if we were to become aware of feeling we'd be protected Protected from the foolishness of our passions, from the foolishness of our passionately wanting and passionately disliking. We'd be totally protected, but since we don't notice it, we have no protection system. On the contrary, what happens immediately is that when this seeing has arisen, we have an immediate naming, which is perceiving, and an immediate like or dislike. And because of that, because of this immediate like or dislike, which may be mild or strong, we make karma. And because it all happens so quickly, we can't discern step by step. Here, in a retreat situation, in a place which is beautifully quiet, where there are no disturbances, nothing is happening, that should be noticed and practiced. How does the mind reaction arise? What have I seen or heard? Tasted? or smelled, or touched? What was the feeling that came? How did I perceive it? What did I react to? Now here the word perception becomes important because of this discourse. Usually perception is nothing but labeling, and that's all we do. But here the Buddha says, training. Training. It's not necessary to perceive in the old established way. For instance, a young man stands at the street corner and sees a beautiful girl go by. Now his eyes are working, there's the eye object, and the eye consciousness. Arises through so their seeing. And immediately the mind reacts with, hmm, that wouldn't be a bad idea to walk after and see what happens. That there was a good feeling mm-hmm. and the perception of pretty girl and the reaction of, I'd like to have it, it's all, for, all gone by the wayside, all down the drain. The only thing that is known is that object and that desire no protection nothing just pure unadulterated dukkha we can train ourselves to a different perception and when we do one day there will be sufficient equanimity so that this dukkha is no longer part of our life and our life experience. The difference of perception is this there is an I object, and the feeling which has arisen was pleasant. So the perception says pleasant feeling, unpleasant feeling, all arise, all cease. This is. A person liable to decay, disease, and death who has a lot of dukkha, may I have compassion. Training in different perceptions. But not words, feelings, over and over and over, again and again. And one day it's meaningful. It's the person changed as an inner change. That is the training of the different perceptions. The feeling which arises does not change. Pleasant, unpleasant or neutral. Either one of the three. Perception changes. There's another possibility of Training, where perception no longer plays any part in it where there's only the sense consciousness the eye, the physical eye sees only color and shape that's all it can see and it sees it whichever way the eye looks if the if this eye looks from sideways, it looks sees it at this angle. Looks from above another angle. That's all it sees, colour and shape. Now if you see this, what's the what's the mind say? Clock. You haven't got time to even see colour and shape. Clock. Nobody has any doubts about it. Show it to a two year old nothing about clock maybe bites into it looks like a cookie like some chocolate like a building block foot on top whatever different perception but if we were to stop which can be done but it's the epitome of mindfulness and can be practiced under the conditions we have here and this is the main thing of a retreat to provide the proper conditions and the guidelines everybody's got to do the work themselves to stay with the sense contact the sense consciousness without paying any attention to what the mind says about it Now with sound, for instance, it's even easier to understand. There was a big bang the other night on the window. And immediately the mind said, ah, must be a bird, flew against the window. The only reason he did that was because he was having a fight with another bird. See, they're fighting too. Same thing that we are doing. Birds are also not as nice as they look. Nothing is as nice as it looks. (laughs) All it was was a big bang on the the window. That's all it was. And then there comes the storyline, the scenario. And the storyline is not the same for everybody. Everybody makes up their own. Sound only. It's very difficult. But it can be practiced. And out in the bush, it's easier, because the sounds are subtle. They are very mild. They are not usually big bangs like this one. They are not like trucks backfiring. There's the the wind, which is a subtle sound. Watch the mind saying, Ah, wind in the trees. Sounds nice. Should live out in the country. Cities are no good. Maybe I should move. My apartment's too expensive anyway. How does anybody make ends meet these days? The recession is terrible. This government is useless. I'm not going to vote for them. (laughs) All you heard was wind. That's all it was. Sound. Sound in the trees. And we're already voting for the next government. Watch it. Watch. Become aware of it. It's very interesting. In fact, it's hilarious. And when you (coughs) start laughing about yourself, you've got a handle on the thing. It's actually what it is. It's downright funny what we're doing. And one day when we wake up from this dream, we'll either laugh or smile and wonder why we were asleep for so long. We had all the opportunities to wake up earlier. But it just took that long. And if we can laugh or smile about ourselves, it's fine. And we take things seriously and are grim about it. First of all, it's no fun, and it hurts. It hurts oneself and hurts others. So out in the bush, hearing sound, staying with sound only, then you know, from that moment on, having done it once, just once, that The ear cannot hear wind, the ear only hears sound. It's the mind that makes up the story. And therefore the Buddha says, with training, different perception. So we can, first of all, come to that point of personal experience, and that's all that matters. Nothing else matters except the personal experience of sound only and become aware of the fact that the mind is constantly making up stories through the feeling, which follows the uh, sense contact, the sense consciousness, through the perception, which is habitual and hasn't been trained to be something else, and then the mental reaction. So the first thing is looking at our perception and saying, this is a worldly perception which creates hate and greed wanting and not wanting and therefore doesn't do me any good it needs insight to see that and the second thing is to try sound only and you can try sight only seeing only we see a flower the eye only sees the color and the shape of it but the mind says flower and the reaction is what's his name? Oh geraniums. Very common. Don't even smell good. Can't they grow something else? Whatever it is. Or I like geraniums. I have white ones and purple ones. Look, they only got red ones, nothing here. Whatever it is, the correct the the story comes from the perception of this flower if we had trained our perception we would see the flower and it may be that we come to the understanding this flower exists because out of craving to be and this is the same way we have arisen and as the flower has arisen it will cease and so will we and the craving to be has not brought any kind of satisfaction is there any sense in retaining craving to be this is a different storyline a different perception through training that's the one that will eventually arise automatically habitually and spontaneously without anything that needs to trigger that seeing it all in that context again We may be able to look at this flower and try and see only the color of it and the shape that's all the eye can see nothing else the rest is mind made perceiving and mental formation now within all that feeling arises and our mindfulness when it has already come to perception and to mental formation has bypassed the feeling. And therefore, we have no protection. So we should learn, and we really need to learn, to become aware of the feeling that arises out of our sense consciousness. Now, it's very simple. For instance, you sit for half an hour, three quarter for an hour, whatever it may be, and then there's a pain in the knee, that's you know, right knee hurts, and the mind says, Ah, oh, dreadful. Half an hour is all right, but I don't like sitting an now. It's crazy to sit an now. I don't want this. This is not what I like to do. I think I'll sit outside where I can move around the way I want to. Storyline, why? Because there has been touch contact, unpleasant feeling, perception, saying, painful mental formation, I don't like it, I'm going out. The whole gamut of the four mental candor. Very easy to notice, especially with touch contact. If we were to watch that a little more carefully, we could stop at unpleasant feeling and look at it and say, uh uh-huh, unpleasant feeling, all right, arises and ceases. I'll stay with the meditation subject. Then, when the mind says, I can't stay with the meditation subject, the feeling is too unpleasant. I need to do something about it, recognizing what is happening. The mind does not have the ability yet to let go of feeling and put itself into a different position it's still reacting to feeling, which is perfectly normal, perfectly human, the way it always is, only nobody recognizes it. And this is where our whole learning situation starts, with the sitting position, where we recognize the four mental candors following each other one after the other and we are only aware of the unpleasantness of the feeling and our reaction to it we don't notice how it has arisen it arose out of touch consciousness this is touch consciousness here It arose out of then the touch consciousness becoming unpleasant then The perception which says pain and then the reaction I don't like it which is our usual reaction to everything that isn't a pleasant feeling if we were to train our perception we would possibly say unpleasant feeling arising and ceasing nothing to do with me just unpleasant feeling going back to the meditation subject. It's useless if the mind says, I hate it, but I'm going to sit through it. That's useless, because that brings the mind into more negativity. What we need to do is recognize it and change our perception of it changing, which means that we see it as not belonging to myself. Obviously, that can't be done just by hearing it once or twice. It has to be practiced. It's a training. And as we practice it and train ourselves to do it, then it becomes easier with time. As we do it here for the meditation, we can do it anywhere and the unpleasant feeling arises because somebody says something we don't like do we have to get angry about it? unpleasant feeling, that's all arising and ceasing and if we are really smart we know that these are words which are sound and nothing else needs to come into awareness but we don't w- operate like that we let the whole thing happen over and over again a pre-programmed printout the same buttons constantly being pushed our five sense doors with the six ones of thinking are the buttons that are being pushed and the printout remains the same We don't have to keep it that way with training. We can train ourselves to change it because it becomes boring after a while. We're always reacting the same way to unpleasant feelings and the same way to pleasant feelings. We always have this idea, this very mistaken idea, that one day we're going to get only pleasant feelings. We're going to be so smart that we're going to fix it. Nobody's ever managed that have only pleasant feelings but it is possible to manage not to react because we know that they are just feelings that come and go they don't belong to anybody and this mindfulness is our pathway to becoming immune to this reaction system which is not only unpleasant for us but it makes it impossible to see the truth because we are so habitually ingrained in the same way of acting and thinking that we don't even see the loophole that is there The loophole is not only a loophole, it's a wide open door, all we have to do is leave all that other stuff behind and go through the wide open door. But because we're so embedded in the old, the way we've always done, it's very difficult to see the new. Seeing, hearing, tasting, touching, smelling and thinking of those the seeing and the hearing are usually the strongest except the touch contact in the sitting position because here we keep a position which is not common and there and keep it longer than usual and therefore we have the opportunity to actually examine what happens how does it work how do I work and there we come also that's the second base of mindfulness we also come here to the fourth factor of clear comprehension and I'd like to connect it up with that I have already explained the first three factors of clear comprehension the first three being finding out one's purpose then their means, whether they are skillful, then seeing whether what one is contemplating to do is within the Dhamma, keeping one's Dhamma practice in mind at all times, connecting up to anything one has heard or one knows, not forgetting. The worst of it is the forgetting us and the fourth one is the clear comprehension of non-delusion now I already explained it very briefly as saying that one should examine whether one's purpose has been accomplished or not but there's more to it than that the clear comprehension of non-delusion means that we can examine over and over again What is it that is reacting? Why do I think that this is me? Why do I think I have to react? Why can't I just let it happen? Now when we have this real understanding of the sense consciousness, the feeling that arises, the perception that we put on it, and then the reaction, and watch this very carefully, and are able to, once in a while, not react, we will see quite clearly that this is nothing but a process which is repetitive over and over again and doesn't have any person involved in it. Because one reason we can see that quite clearly is if we had a person involved there was somebody there that was in charge which is what we think why don't we manage to have only pleasant feelings? We're not that stupid, are we? If we're really in charge of this whole business why do we get so many unpleasant ones? And why do we react to the unpleasant ones with dislike? Who feels happy when they're disliking, hating, rejecting, resisting? Nobody. So who is there to do all that? Or is the one who's there doing all that just having bad luck, and with a little more luck will manage only the pleasant feelings and no rejection resistance anymore if we've tried long enough we will know that this is absurd we've tried over and over again it doesn't work so clear comprehension of non-delusion means that we eventually get a hang on this that we actually get a handle on it that this is just happening there's nobody there doing it and as we see that this is just happening that there's nobody doing it Obviously we don't have to react, because who is reacting? So we can check that out when we watch our sense consciousness. Who is seeing? It's this idea that's seeing. And who is feeling? Sometimes this way and sometimes that way, coming, this, coming and going. And who is perceiving, untrained or trained, and who's reacting is it all a process or is there somebody there that's really doing all that now this kind of inquiry will show us eventually if we have this inner urge to see the truth what it really means to be a human being that it is no different from being anything that exists exactly the same body consisting of the four elements and with that kind of clear comprehension added to our mindfulness which is training that doesn't come by itself but to train ourselves over and over again We have to remind ourselves. We can't rely on the fact that somebody else is going to remind us. Who has this kind of insight and compassion to constantly remind us? Nobody. We've got to remind ourselves. We will only do that when we have, first of all, seen that the way we're handling it isn't going to work out in the end. Nobody's that clever that he can only have pleasant feelings and never react unpleasantly. That's one thing. And the second thing is that we realize that the way we've been handling it brings renewed dukkha all the time. There must be another way. Since the Buddha said only one thing I... We need confidence enough to try it out. The confidence usually arises either because one has tried everything else and it hasn't worked. That's a good reason. Or the only trouble is it wastes a lot of time. Or it arises because what one hears is so obviously true that one cannot deny even when one likes to most people would then like to deny that this is so most people would like to have their cake and eat it too have it all the way it is it's all nice it's all fine but get rid of all the unpleasantness it doesn't work unfortunately we can't have our cake and eat it too we've got to get rid of the cake There's no other way. Most people don't like that idea at all. But once one gets along with the practice, with the training, and gets an inkling of what that means, the relief of that, and the feeling of ease and well-being which comes from that, then there's no question anymore. That's exactly what needs to be done. We've got to start somewhere. We start with mindfulness, moral behavior, guarding the senses, contentment with what there is, not always wanting something else. And then the mindfulness which tells us that the sense contacts are not really designed to give us satisfaction even though we're trying over and over again. And then when we can see how it works within us, we will have a great advantage already on this path, because this means already inside, inside into ourselves. There is nothing else that we need to gain inside in, because what we see in ourselves that's the whole of the universe we are the microcosm in the macrocosm there's nothing else to be known whatever there is what we know that is out there and if they are sick and tired of the continual up and down the change between a little bit of sukha, a little bit of pleasure, and then again the dukkha. If we're sick and tired of that, our energy and determination will go in that direction. But if we want to get, without getting rid of, it doesn't work. We've got to get rid of our own habitual perception. And we've got to get rid of our viewpoints and opinions because they haven't so far really brought us what we're looking for. And then when there is an empty spot within, we can fill it with insight. If it's all full to overflowing, what can we put in there? The Buddha compared people to four kinds of clay vessels, one kind has big holes at the bottom. You pour the water in, it runs right out. You pour the Dhamma in, into the ears, and it runs right out. Then the next kind, the next vessel, it has cracks. The water seeps out. You pour the Dhamma in, and by the time one goes to bed, it's all gone. It just sort of slowly seeps out, or there by tomorrow. And then there's the kind that is full to the brim with old water, stale water. You can't add anything to it. You put the dhamma in and the mind says, I know all that. And then there's the empty vessel with no holes and no cracks. And that, of course, can be filled with the new and fresh water. Now, hopefully, that's what we are no guarantees for that of course and when we are like that we will be also keen to try to see whether what the Buddha said is really so and then we can find out ourselves so the second place of mindfulness feeling connected with the four mental khandhas and connected with clear comprehension the fourth part comprehension of no delusion meaning that we look at who is doing all that who is it happening to does it have any substance to it or is it constantly changing is there anything in it that we can put our finger on and say aha, I found it that's me I'll keep it this is the practice and this is the contemplative practice which we can do during the day when it isn't the one-pointed concentrated meditation it always needs to be balanced with that contemplative endeavor to gain insight because concentration without insight is not sufficient concentration without any insight is pleasant feeling without admitting that they too are impermanent and I think that might be enough for one evening even though I haven't even touched the Sutta but it is important to have these guidelines at one's disposal, For the daily practice, because then we can balance calm with insight. So, if you have any questions, this is the time to ask them. All perfectly clear. Wonderful. Yes. So. I tend to do a lot more of the concentrated rather than the concentration, and I get a lot of joy from the concentrated practice, and uh, not much of a kind of concentration practice. Is it's okay. Because I do get a bit of a lot of joy in the mm. of the from not concentration, the concentrated. Well, why don't you use the joy that arises then? for your calm practice. No, no, I don't mean that. The joy that arises from your contemplation is not the meditative joy. It's the joy of the yeah. Dhamma, which is the worldly joy, which is fine, which is a prerequisite for meditation. So when you have that joy, the next step is to become concentrated on either loving-kindness, you said that works best for you, then doing the loving-kindness meditation and then getting to the um, sensations. The joy at that time is not your meditation subject. There are different kinds, you see. The meditation subject of joy is called Sukha. This one is called Pamoja. This is a worldly one. So you just use it as your base to start your calm meditation from. You have to do both. We balance both. You can never get the depth of insight without the depth of concentration. But you can certainly get some insight. And from that some insight, you can get some calm. So you always balance both. You don't go only this and only or only that. You always work on both levels. So when you have, when you enjoy your contemplation, then that joy gives you a very nice springboard to go for calm. And you don't have to go to the breath. You can go to loving-kindness meditation and see whether that brings you the sensation. If it brings you the sensation, then stay on the sensation. Okay? Else. Please put the attention on the breath for just a few moments. Imagine that golden sunlight within your heart. Which gives you warmth and joy and contentment. It fills you and surrounds you. A sense of love and well-being. And now let the golden sunlight from your heart shine into the heart of the person nearest you, filling him or her with warmth and joy and contentment, bringing love and a sense of well-being. Now let the golden sunlight from your heart reach out to everyone here. Let it shine so that it can go to everyone's heart, bringing love and joy and a sense of well being. And now think of your parents and let the golden sun from your heart shine into their hearts, bring them joy, contentment and love. Now let the sun from your heart shine and reach out to those that are near and dear to you. Fill them with the warmth and joy and love that can bring them a sense of well-being. The sun in your heart shine with golden rays to fill all your friends with joy and contentment and love. let the sun in your heart grow and expand to reach all the people who are part of your life neighbors, acquaintances people at work on the street, in shops on your travels Let its golden rays reach out to all these people, filling them with warmth and joy and love. So they can feel the togetherness with you. think of anyone in your life whom you find difficult or towards whom you are quite indifferent the sun shines on everyone it doesn't discriminate let it shine to that person too with the warmth and the love and the joy that it contains. now imagine that the sun in your heart is like the sun in the sky large and all-encompassing shining everywhere bringing warmth and joy contentment sense of well-being and your love let it shine far and wide giving people best that your heart contains Knowing all together, just like the sun shines on all of us. now put your attention back on yourself feel the expansion the non-limitation of the love and the joy that your heart contains unlimited all-encompassing pervading you completely Be love and joy in everyone's heart.